0: views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW.
1: Welcome to Contemporary American History. I'm Professor Turchison. You know, a lot of people think history is just facts, it's just information about the past. But not me. I mean, I hold history very sacred. Sacred. The way the farmer looks at the earth and he holds it sacred. The way. A Christian takes the Bible and he holds it sacred, the way a lot of people hold their marriage sacred. So I feel about it. So why don't we dive right in by interpreting one of the easiest events in the last 20 years of American history. Now, can someone tell me why in 1975 we pulled our troops out of Vietnam? The failure of vietnamization to win popular support caused an ongoing erosion of confidence in the various American but illegal Saigon regimes. Is she right? Because I know that's the popular version of what went on there. I know a lot of people like to believe that. I wish I could, but I was there. I wasn't here in a classroom. Hoping I was right, thinking about it, I was up to my knees in rice patties with guns, and then we're going up against Charlie, slugging it out with him, while pussies like you were back here partying, putting headbands on, doing drugs, listening to the goddamn Beatle albums! Oh! oh!
2: 2009. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we will be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right.
1: Fade into color Color into black and white Under the clothes, everything will be alright
2: And welcome to the show today, where 519-661-3600 is a line you can call if you want to join in on the conversation today. And our theme for the whole show today will be about academic freedom, and about some of the things that are going on on some of the campuses across the country. I am joined in studio today by the President for the Society of Academic Freedom and Scholarships, shortly known as, or short-form SAFs, and that's Clive Seligman. Welcome to the show, Clive. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. And, well, thank you for accepting, because this is an issue that's been around for a while. Very shortly, if everything goes well, um, with all our connections and everything, uh, is she with us already? Well, let's bring her on. Uh, can you hear us, Barbara? Yes, I can. Well, thank you for joining the show today, folks. This is Call My pleasure. Yes. We're talking with Barbara Kay, columnist with the National Post, who joins us again. And uh, I understand you are on a train.
0: I am. I'm on the train from Montreal to Toronto, and I I took myself into a quiet car.
2: (laughs) Oh, good for you. And you told me you'd probably have a good connection for most of the show, but if we lose you once or twice, we'll try and reconnect. Okay,
0: and I hope I have a full battery, hope it
2: lasts. Let's do that, because we want to get to one of your issues first. But first, I want to just ask. um, Clive here. Okay, what could you t- briefly describe what the Society for Academic uh, Freedom and Scholarship is, why it exists,
3: and what, what brought it about? Well, the Society for Academic Freedom and Scholarship is a society largely of Canadian academics in, in um, um, u- universities and colleges. Um, we have several hundred members we have members who are also students, and we have members, uh, some members in other countries, the United States, uh, Australia, and we um, also have non-academics who are interested, uh, citizens who care about uh, the universities and the ability of the universities to do their job
2: So you wouldn't have to be um, a, a, either a student or an academic
3: teacher to be a member. No, we welcome mm-hmm. uh, anyone who is interested. Our our two principles. Um, are ones that we ask people to agree with if they want to join our society mm-hmm. and they are uh, a- essentially um, maintaining freedom and teaching research and scholarship that's the academic freedom portion of this and we'll talk about that a lot more later and also maintaining standards of excellence and academic decisions about students and faculty which means using academic criteria to make judgments about admission or promotion or or tenure or competence rather than um, membership in in some group or other non-academic ways in which uh... the university as part of society uh... engages in the the various movements that that occur we think the university is best served by focusing on its uh... academic criteria and and that job and uh... One way to sort of get that across is is actually to read the mission statement of the University of Western Ontario that was passed in the Senate in 1997. And I'm happy to say I was actually on the Senate then and did get Mm -hmm. to work on revising and voting for it. And I think it's a a great statement. And I think some (laughs) universities uh, in in Canada, uh, particularly York University, has really forgotten what the main purpose of a university is. So to quote from the mission statement... The University of Western Ontario is dedicated to the advancement of learning through teaching and research and to the discovery and application of knowledge. The university (laughs) seeks to provide an environment of free and creative inquiry within which critical thinking, humane values and practical skills are cultivated and sustained. By pursuing these objectives, the university endeavours to serve the interests of society." Unquote. And the important thing to know here note here uh, is that the last sentence, it stresses that the university serves society by doing its job of seeking, disseminating, and applying knowledge. It does not say that the university's main job is to pursue political or social ends that society, its political leaders or groups of citizens promote. Its role is essentially to seek truth so that others including government can make informed decisions and the university is uniquely uh, the only institution in society that is dedicated to truth-seeking as its main goal. And it does this through argument and experimentation and and the use of of evidence.
2: Now, I'd like to get back to some of these broader principles for the balance of the show, but I thought, because we've got Barbara online here. Um, Barbara, what's going to bring you to London here? I understand you're going to be speaking to SAFS on Saturday. Uh, Yes, I am. I'm
0: speaking on a subject that has uh, preoccupied me for a number of years. Uh, and when I say preoccupied, I mean with growing alarm. And, and that is um, the, uh, the spread uh, in terms of uh, uh, reach and also uh, the, the virulence, the spread of virulence with regard to uh, bias against Israel on campus uh, that uh, not only transcends any respect for the, exactly the values that Clyde has just outlined, uh, but also any sense of personal shame uh, in terms of uh, using uh, falsehoods, propaganda methods that that really are reminiscent of a very scary uh, era. Um, and uh, so I, I, I feel too, that there is a great threat uh, to, to academic scholarship, but also uh, a feeling that anybody who supports Israel, n- mainly, but not uh, only Jewish students, uh, feel, uh, threatened and uh, intimidated, and uh, and and with good reason, at some universities, at physical risk in in a place where their security and their freedom to think independently should be assured,
2: now, uh, as outlined. Now, what's interesting about the debate today, as we talk about academic freedom, it's no longer about issues of um, just um, certain words you couldn't say and everything. It's complete thought processes and a complete politicalization of the campus. Listen, we're going to take a quick break here, uh, just for two minutes, uh, because we're going to lead into your subject and then we want to talk about your your theme, manipulating debate, uh, the anti-Israel rhetoric and political activism on universities. But you know, it wasn't long ago that political ideas um, were openly debated without fear of censure. But uh, at that time, I remember, certain words were always prohibited. You couldn't say this, you couldn't say that, and today it's almost the reverse. You can say (laughs) almost any kind of bad words you want, but you can't discuss certain ideas so with that we're going to go into this reflection by george carlin and on the other side we'll hear a little uh, from the allen which should lead in to your subject heading very nicely and uh, once again i am joined in studio by clive seligman president of society for academic freedom and scholarship and guest on the phone barbara k columnist for the national post five one nine six six one thirty six hundred the number if you want to join the conversation and we'll be back in about two minutes
4: there is left, that, word, that group of words that we uh... Yeah. Hey. Hey. Well they're your words gang and I praise them too because they are sort of fun just as a hobby if nothing else these words are only, uh, let's see, let's call them this they're uh, the words that we can't say all the time I find that to be about the most comfortable um... Umbrella, you know? Uh, They're just words that we can say all the time. I figured, looking for a list, I started running into all the categories of dirty words. Started to realize there are more ways to describe filthy words than there are filthy words. Seemed curious to me. Someone was awfully interested in them. They found an awful lot of ways to refer to them. And uh, I did too. called them bad language, dirty. Filthy, foul, vile, vulgar, (laughs) coarse, unseemly, in poor taste, street language, locker room talk, gutter talk, barracks language, naughty, saucy, bawdy, raunchy, rude, Mm. lewd, lascivious, indecent, profane, obscene, blue, off color. Risqué, suggestive, cursing, cussing, swearing... I distinctly
1: heard it. He muttered under his breath, Jew. No, I'm not. We were walking off the tennis court and, you know, he was there and me and his wife and he looked at her and then they both looked at me and under his breath he said, Jew. Alvin, <laughs> you're a total paranoid. What, how am I a paranoid? I pick up on those kind of things. You know, I was having lunch with some guys from NBC, so I said, uh, did you eat yet or what? And Tom Christie said, no, Jew, not did you,
4: Jew eat, Jew, no, not did you eat, but Jew eat, Jew, you get it? Jew eat? Uh, Max. You, uh, Stop calling me Max. Why, Max? It's a good name for you. Max, you
5: see conspiracies and everything. No, I, don't.
2: you know, I don't. conspiracies and everything, and that's almost <laughs> the way it seems to be on the campuses these days. Welcome back. We're joined. Hi. We're joined in studio by Clive Seligman, President of the Society for Academic Freedom and Scholarship, also a Professor of Psychology here at the University of Western Ontario. And on the line with us is Barbara Kay, columnist with the National Post. Barbara, wh- any I- any thoughts on what you just heard and how that might fit into some of the subjects you're talking about today?
0: Well, I'm glad you did bring up the question of, I mean, Lenny Bruce is quite right. That, I mean, that, that was very funny as a riff, and it's true that there used to be certain words you couldn't say that... Uh, had to do with, you know, sex or, or other bodily functions, and now you can say all of those. But there, but there are also some uh, words that are, are extremely charged, uh, that are used with great frequency now, and what's terrible about them is that they're not suggestive of, of truth. They're uh, outright lies, words like Nazi, apartheid, um, you know, uh, a genocide, these words have, have very serious, charged meanings, and they are applied very freely and without any kind of, of evidence or, or, or facts, uh, or twisted facts, uh, and they are an inversion of the truth of a situation in the Middle East that is uh, quite, quite incendiary, uh, this kind of language, uh, and it's only applied to one nation. Uh, and it's applied falsely to one nation. So there's a double standard and an inversion, and, and the use of these words uh, is extremely negative.
3: I can give a, a personal example that just sure. happened uh, a, a couple of days ago. On, on late Monday afternoon this this week, there was a debate at Osgood Hall Law School of York University on... Uh, academic boycotts against Israel And there were uh, four panelists, two who are arguing for the boycott and two who arguing against the boycott, I, I'm, I'm sure you could guess I argued uh, against the boycott. There were about 300 uh, plus people in the audience um, probably weighted two-thirds um, against uh, Israel. There was a fair age distribution, although interestingly as w- one person who wrote to me, the ethnic composition of the audience was seemed to be uh, largely um, white, um, Jewish or Muslim. Uh, there were very few uh, Chinese or very few people who seemingly came from India. So it was. It's, it's clearly a kind of topic that it attracts its own particular audiences. And in that debate, um, it really wasn't about academic boycotts. It it was um, a ruse, as 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 Barbara suggests. To have an occasion to to bash Israel. And so the anti-boycott people, myself and Professor Edelman, a philosopher, uh, now retired from York, uh, argued why boycotts were bad, and the other two people, Professor Backen from Queens and Professor Sears from Ryerson, Mm -hmm. uh, argued Israel was bad, and so there was very little meeting on the issue of boycotts. And the audience being weighted toward um, anti-Israel views tended uh, to use the word racist. They must have shouted it out several times. I was called a racist twice during the debate, once for saying that if... People cared about peace in the Middle East and were concerned about Palestinians, then they should uh, work to put pressure on Hamas. At which point, the audience, uh, or 30, 40 members of the audience, uh, erupted in large shouts. Uh, and jeers and uh... racists came out now
2: i i, I want to be clear what's being objected to here because really you just you, you gave a good example here you're saying on one side of the deb- I- of the debate are say one two or three professors that say Israel is the good guy on the other side you've got these professors that say israel is the bad guy isn't that what academic freedoms all about
3: oh sure i'm not i'm not objecting to having the 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 debate at all mm-hmm. i would like a little bit more honesty in the advertisement of the debate Just as Israel Apartheid Week, the academic boycott against issue issue, um, (laughs) academic boycott against Israel issue, is not really about academic boycotts or about apartheid. It's really to have an evening where just Israel is is, is, is bashed. And that means that we have a different kind of debate. Debate should be um, the... uh, should not be an occasion just simply to demonize Israel and talk about uh, its right to exist, it should be a debate about the whole Middle East, how do you bring peace to the Middle East, Uh, what are the uh, the positive or negative things both sides are are Uh, doing. But
2: but, but isn't that a useless debate to people who aren't interested in peace in the Middle East? Uh, You know, I've said on this show many times, and I know both of you are probably unfamiliar with this, but I think there's a lot of people out there and nobody wants to say it, they hate Jews. Okay, it's as simple as well, that. Why don't we call them out on who they are and why they have these irrational beliefs? Uh,
0: uh, may, may I <laughs> jump in here? Absolutely. They, uh, th- we, uh, people often do call them on it, but they're clever uh, in the way they, they manipulate the words, and they say, no, 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 it's not about uh, uh, Jews. It's about Israel. Of course, the fact that Israel is a Jewish homeland uh, you know, makes a mockery of their claim that it's only about uh, Israel. But I, can I just, the, the the event that Clive just described yes. at York, um, it, it's an interesting template and a format that repeats itself again and again, which tells you that there's not a lot of independent thought going on. The exact same event took place on May 5th, or the same type, uh, University of Toronto, which was billed as—and here, Clive is right—they're they're billing these things as information evenings or as legitimate debates. Uh, the one at the University of Toronto was billed as an information evening about health, the health situation in Gaza, but it wasn't. The uh, the doctor who spoke was first a political activist and second a doctor, and the statistics that she presented were actually false. When a doctor himself in the audience stood up to say, you are wrong about your statistics, and here are the correct statistics. The audience, as one, yelled, racist, racist, you're a racist. Now, you see, what the, uh, there's no debate going on here. These are hate fests attended mainly by people who have little interest in facts or in actually knowing anything about the situation. They're there uh, in a kind of brown shirt, uh, beer hall manifestation, the modern-day manifestation uh, to express anti-semitism uh, in a safe and uh, credible environment. And the trouble is that when academics lend their, their prestige and credibility to these events, uh, the public, uh, in general, is passive because they say, well, it must be true. Look, we've got doctors speaking here. We have uh, university professors, psychology professors. These people have prostituted their professional... Uh, standards, they have no shame, uh, and this is a tragedy for society at large. They are training the youth of tomorrow, the leaders of tomorrow.
2: You know, you speak to a very fundamental issue here, and basically you're saying that the side, you know, uh, one would like to think that a university exists for people to discover reality, to discover truth, what, what the world is really like. In that process of discovery, we make errors. Um, we we adopt the wrong ideas from time to time, but it seems to me that um, what's happening is that an irrational side of an argument, a side that doesn't care about facts, doesn't care about science, doesn't care about truth, um, is taking over the debate under the guise of academic freedom. Well is, is that what we're being? Is that w- is that what you're saying, Barbara? In a way, yes, I am saying that. So, what would you see as the solution if if they're using academic freedom for to to t- you know, state their point of view, how would you fix it? Let's put it that way.
0: Uh, one solution would be to um, uh, to deal with university presidents uh, with a lot less uh, gentleness and timidity. Um, uh, if if, if uh, professors are uh, knowingly presenting false information or not allowing their students to see the other side, or if they're using the university as... A ma- as a disguise or as a, as a, a, a shield to uh, to uh, propagate uh, uh, politically act activist views under the guise of scholarship, then the universities must be uh, there. Must be legal remedies for this because it seems like that's the only thing they'll respond to. I personally would would uh, advocate uh, lawsuits uh, because it's false advertising uh, for a university and and also in terms of protecting. Uh, you know, uh, from physical uh, physical uh, risk, that sort of thing. Uh, Alan Dershowitz, by the way,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, will sue uh, anyone who, who uh, you know, makes false claims, like her, he threatens to sue them. Uh, he's had great success with this, and I think we have to be a lot more aggressive about making universities uh, stand behind their own mission statements.
3: I have a a slightly different um, take on this. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that we should make sure that when we talk about these debates, we're talking about speech and not behavior. To the extent that people are being physically harassing or assaulting uh, people, which apparently has been happening on the York campus. more than uh, maybe as many as a dozen people told me after the debate that the reason they came out was that they wanted to see for themselves what their children were telling them about the campus. And there's apparently uh, a great deal of physical intimidation of Jewish students actually being physically af- afraid. Earlier in February, uh, a, a group of Jewish students were essentially chased back to the Hillel offices where they had to call the Toronto police to escort them out and that was through a crowd of people, uh, you know, shouting insults. At no, that, that that's openly criminal activity. Uh, right, but that's what's happening on, apparently, at your campus now, and of the people who have written, sent me emails after the debate on, on Monday, that's what they're really concerned with, and they have tried uh, at several different times to... Um, s- Meet with the president, they have met with the president. They're, these have been either concerned parents, there have been parents who have brought a lawyer. Uh, w- uh, a, a, a policeman from the city of Toronto police force came with one of these parents at one time. Various Jewish organizations have tried to meet with the president. And I'm told that nothing has been done, even on something that everyone would object to uh, students being physically intimidated. Now, when it <laughs> comes to speech, um, I, I, I am much more open. If people want to have uh, a, an evening where they say, these are all the reasons we think Israel is wrong, and this is organized by students or professors who are bona fides on the campus, then I think they should be allowed to, ha- to have it. And even though I see these academic boycotts and Israel apartheid weeks as just ruses for Israel bashing, what I would like to see happen is that the other side engage in the debate and go there and, and stand up to them and not be intimidated. And, and that's the way I think we will win, win the day. As long as we're talking about speech and opinion, quite frankly, I think the Israel apartheid and anti, uh, uh, an academic boycott crowd. Don't have the side of, of logic or history or good intentions, and I think all one well has that, to do that history has never been made by logic and good intentions. That's for sure. Well, you, one has to <laughs> one one has one has to keep trying. You know, Erwin Kotler, the former justice minister, uh, likes to say um, in many of his speeches uh, when when he talks about anti-hate um, legislation that the Holocaust began with the word, um, and in a technical sense that possibly is true, but. The problem with Nazi Germany in the 1930s uh, wasn't that uh, there were too many words. It was that there was censorship, that there was only one side that was allowed to give its distorted version of what's happening. And so I actually think that censorship and the prevention of debate is a a cure that's probably worse than the problem. But I definitely make a sharp line between opinion and uh, illegal behavior.
2: Now, I found it interesting what you seem to be describing with bullying on campus. And uh, it's interesting because in, in our news in London this last few days, all they've been talking about is bullying in the grade schools and in the high schools, as if this pattern just continues right on into, uh, you know, a higher education. Um, we're losing you a bit there, Barbara. I think you might be in a bad spot there. Are you still with us? Oh, well, I think we lost Barbara. We're going to have to try and reconnect, but um, we'll, we'll carry on, Clive. And we'll, we'll be going to ad break in a moment. But um, the interesting thing was that we're talking about, um, well, I think, wh- why don't we go to a break, and f- let's do that first. And what we're going to hear first is um, actually Michael, this is from the Michael Corrin show, uh, just broadcast this past January, uh, talking to a representative of the Union, a Jewish person, incidentally, who is opposed to Israel. And uh, isn't that an interesting situation? But here is that conversation. When we come back on the other side, hopefully Barbara will be back with us.
5: Peter he, uh, he epitomizes lovely, he's a Labour activist, Steel Workers Union, and, and, um, and I have to say this, and I, I do mean it, um, a Jewish guy in Canada, t- to have your views, I know that's not easy, I know there are people who say all s- self-loathing, all that nonsense, it's ridiculous, you have an opinion, it's not the mainstream in the Jewish world, you're entitled to it, you express it well, and I, I understand, it. Uh, it's not always easy, so good for you. Michael,
6: Thank you. Mis- Much as I
5: disagree with you, good for you. for this is well, was- what I've always found interesting, in Sudan, There have now been, we think, 400,000 people killed. The vast majority are black Africans. The vast majority of those are Christian, but not all. By an Arab government, a nationalistic Arab Muslim government in Khartoum. There's been slavery, forced circumcision of men and women, forced conversion to Islam. Where are the protests by the left, by the labor movement, outside the Sudanese embassies and consulates? I've yet to see one. This is why people sometimes say, are you attacking... It's not out of anti-Semitism, but are you attacking Israel because it's an American... Uh I like why is it okay, yeah, all that you're, number you're asking, murdered
4: and Because and in fact I mean again we can talk about what happens in the rest of the world but I would But you don't would, because Israel it has a special relationship with the United States. Ah thank and, you. And, and and I said that at the beginning. It is an it is an expression uh because the war would be over in a second if mm-hmm. the Americans said no don't do this. They, they wouldn't stop. But Peter, I don't subscribe I don't to the fact you know. that okay. Israel tells America what to do. Yeah. I very much subscribe to the fact that American Peter, foreign policy and American Peter, projection of power yeah. is, uh, is, Peter, is in, within until, the Israeli state. Until
5: 1972, Israel and America had no genuine relationship. In 1967, the French were allied to Israel, and, and they gave them Mirage jets. Uh, it, 56 the americans made in, the israeli's in, in leave in, in to it in fact, it. fact you know, it, so we've no. talked about but we this we have to be honest yes, here yes, yes. Yeah, actually michael we've talked about only, this before but they only sure. got involved when the soviets allied themselves to egypt we're actually we're missing we're missing you know what I, I have to break again i but uh, this is this is good, this is good.
4: So take it easy, will you? I mean, these kids, they were in grade school at the time. And me, I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. Uh,
1: well, Well, I didn't know you wanted to get involved with the discussion, Mr. Helper. But since you want to help, maybe you can help me, okay? You remember that thing we had about 30 years ago called that Korean conflict? Yeah, where we failed to achieve victory. How come we didn't cross the 38th parallel and push those rice-eaters back to the Great Wall of China and take the Berkman brick and nuke them back in the Age River? How come? Tell it! Why? Say it!
4: Say it! All right. I'll say it. Cause Truman was too much of a pussy-wimp to let McCarthy go in there and blow out those coming bastards! Good answer.
1: Good answer. Like the way you think. Mm. I'm going to be watching you.
4: A good teacher. He really seems to care about what I have no idea.
2: And welcome back to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM where where I am joined in studio by Clive Seligman president of the Society for Academic Freedom and Scholarship, also a professor of psychology here at the University of Western Ontario, and I hope online we still have Barbara Kay columnist with the uh, National Post.
0: I am back. Oh, <laughs> terrific.
2: And you were just saying something before uh, we lost your signal there, Barbara. We were talking about um, the whole issue of debating on campus and bullying and speech versus behavior and things yeah, like I, that.
0: Yeah, I wanted to make the point that uh, bullying uh, in high school or in grade school uh, th- this is a question of one individual uh, who's bullying several others. You deal with uh, individual cases. The bullying that is going on on campus is uh, a systemic kind of thing that is thought uh, out, well-organized, well-funded. Uh, the, whole, the whole idea behind it is to intimidate by uh, groups, and uh, it's, they're like gangs almost. Uh, and they have not one person or individuals in mind, but an entire group. Uh, It's it's a a kind of ideological, um, you know, Maoist kind of, there's only one correct opinion here, and anybody that goes against it is going to suffer for it. Uh, And it's a point of totalitarian impulse, and that's why it must be combated. I agree with Clive, by the way. I don't believe in censorship of any kind. I, I agree with him about that. And when I spoke about... Um, using legal remedies, my, my impulse was to say, look here, uh, it's very tough for students to stand up and combat uh, this just with free speech because they are in an intimidating atmosphere and it discourages uh, their wish to participate in debate since they're not accorded uh, the freedom and respect that an academic environment should provide. So who is not providing this environment? The university, and sometimes you have to sort of pick them up by the scruff of the neck and shake them because it has not worked. Kind of, you know, let's sit down and talk about this, and let's invite discussion. These university pre- some of, some university presidents. The the incident that I mentioned at University of Toronto, uh, the communications department. I phoned them. They were very quick to respond to the situation. They have invited uh, the, the, the person who was uh, yelled at as racist to come in and, and speak. That's the way you deal with it, and and I'd like to see that happening at other campuses as well.
3: Uh, I, I agree with that, and I would like Concordia University to invite uh, Benjamin Netanyahu to come back and speak at Concordia, because the last yes. time he tried, <laughs> when he was out of the government, uh, 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 just a, a mob mm-hmm. prevented him from, uh, from speaking, and um, to my knowledge, he has never been invited um,
0: actually, back. Actually, actually, Clive, I, I have to correct you, yeah. because I did speak to the former president of, of Concordia, who said that uh, an invitation was issued some time later uh, for him to speak at the downtown campus. At that point, he was no longer interested in coming back. Okay, so just
3: well, that's unfortunate. But thanks for yeah. correcting the, the record. The other irony to pick up on, on Barbara's point about what this is about, it's, ag- again, um, not about the actual issue because uh, Professor Bakken and the panel on, at Osgood Hall earlier th- this week, she made a point at some point and said, here we are, Having a a debate about Palestinians and look at the diversity of the panel. There's not a Palestinian on the panel. She didn't also say there's not an Israeli on on the panel. And at another uh, point she talked about how she is very upset that uh... israel as a jewish state uh... seems to imply that it speaks for all jews and she says they don't speak for me and there in fact is an organization called not in my name by uh... by jews who are um, against um... israel and What's very interesting is that in this case, she's saying that Israel has no right to claim to speak for her, but yet she supports a boycott, which, if enacted at her University of Queens or at York, would essentially speak in the name of all the other uh, professors and students at the university and tell them uh, with whom they can associate, with whom they can do research, and what joint projects they may be willing to do. And so the complete lack of insight on the uh the the israel haters um is is really quite re- remarkable they they have no principled uh ob- objections um to anything their whole goal is to d- uh demonize and i i su- suppose ultimately uh destroy israel and even when I pointed out that boyc- academic boycotts um basically model force they basically say that people are not seen as individuals, but members only of groups, and the university is just another pressure group in society where Mike makes right, and whatever the university wants to do is okay, actually hurts many of the causes that she and people um, like her are very interested, women and visible minorities, because it's only the principle of judging an individual on individual merit and academic criteria that will enable us to get more women and more minorities in the university you know at full professors and at the highest levels of administration but once we say that all that matters is the group and all that matters in determining the group's success is the power elite at any given time then people like Professor Backen have no recourse to to complain if Israel wants to do something differently. Uh, what if York enacted an academic boycott against uh, Israel institutions, and McGill University uh, enacted a boycott against Palestinian institutions? And then, of course, there are all the other conflicts in, in the world, and we would simply not have a system where there were any principles of, of uh, university interaction.
2: Uh, my experience has been that whenever the left uh, wants to impress us with something, they, in, they avoid a debate. That's the number one step. They never allow a debate. But, you know, I'm still concerned about this idea of um, legal remedy because that's been a problem we've discussed on this show. I've had Ezra Levant on and people like him who've, who outside the academic community are finding themselves subject to, quote, legal remedies like human rights commissions. And but they're so not legal. That's the whole point well, of the human rights commissions. Uh, but they exist in law. And our government is basically running on collectivist principles and collectivist philosophy. So to appeal to a government that's already running on the very ideas that we're trying to fight in a university, to me, seems a contradiction. Am, am I off target there, Barbara?
0: Um, I, would, I would say so, because I th- I, I'm not looking for a group lawsuit. I think that one individual has to, uh, who has been harassed or who has been physically assaulted at York uh, this is uh, a charter right. He has a charter right to security of the person. And if uh, the institution uh, to which he uh, is in flaw, so but to speak, he has to be on his premises, is not protecting <laughs> his, his typical security, he has a right to suit.
2: You see, there, there. I don't believe there's such a right as security of the person. I think you have the right to self defense. End of story. And the problem is that's the right we've been deprived of. Uh, security when you of
0: the say person. I mean, he has right to what? If somebody
2: pushes me or hits me, I have a right to hit them back. End of story. Oh, we're losing you again. No, I think we're gonna. Oh, we're gonna have to um, carry that conversation on. Can we try and get Barbara back again? Sounds like that signal went again. When you're in motion on the train, I guess it's going to happen a few times. Did you have anything to add on that particular no, subject? Clark? No. Because you know that to me I- I is a major um factor um, universities f- have for a long time been hotbeds of dissent and ideas that the public might regard as totally wacko, especially in the in the um humanities fields, let's say politics and and uh, the non science scientific end of things um because our whole education system seems like that. We, if you're talking about knowingly false information, I could make a strong argument that everything about the green philosophy and what they're saying about global warming is knowingly false information because I can dig up all kinds of information contradicting what they're teaching officially in the schools. Where
3: where does it stop? Well, I mean, I think you, you, you raise a, a, an interesting question, and um, it, it, it's very difficult. Th- that's why I SAFS is really a, a process organization we, we want to ensure that debate can take place in an unfettered way obviously it has to be civil so that people aren't shouted down or prevented from making their point but we, we try not to, well we don't take sides when when i'm talking about um this academic boycott debate uh i, tr- I tried uh, and was successful for probably ninety percent of the time of just talking about boycotts, not even mentioning the word Israel. But all the questions, there uh, just a the barrage of questions, there was half an hour worth of people asking questions, uh, were all about Israel. There were very, very few just about the boycott. And so I engaged uh, uh, na- now and then. But I think it's really important that we have a process that says that any topic, no matter how controversial, no no matter how uh, uh, seemingly uh or superficially appearing repugnant can be discussed that's that's the principle of academic freedom that that uh people who work at universities can subject any topic to analysis as long as it's an academic analysis and what professors shouldn't do in their classroom is proselytize for a particular point of view although that can get tricky in some disciplines if you teach um, organic chemistry it's probably easy to tell if a person's proselytizing for against Israel it's probably a lot more difficult if you're teaching cultural anthropology right. and, and 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 discourse um so it 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 is difficult and I think we have to be vigilant
2: okay listen, let's get let's get ready for our last break um you know we're talking about freedom of speech I'd like to see it even beyond the campus and I want to talk about that but here is a clip from uh, Salim Mansour who was a guest on the show just a couple of weeks ago over um, the issue of HRC's and when we come back we'll do some wrap-up stuff and hopefully Barbara will be back with us and again here he's talking about uh, the subject of um, Ezra Levant and he, when he was here in London just a while ago.
5: It, it is simply unimaginable, but it is happening. But in 2009, the 21st century, we have to go through and over again and again the argument There's so many others have made out before us that what Ezra points out in his book it seems that every generation, I hope my students and friends at the university, schools and colleges are watching and listening and reading people like Ezra, that it is their responsibility to keep freedom alive, preserved, protected, it is a generational fight.
6: So I wasn't always a comedian, I, I've been doing this for years and years, but for one year of my life, I was actually a... Uh, I can't even believe I'm saying this, but it's true. I was a junior high school English teacher in New York. Junior high school. For those of you that are te- with teachers here. People, I, you know, I get mad when people say, oh, teachers only work 180 days. Yeah, the other 180, we're in rehab. It's not an easy job. <laughs> Let me bring you into the world of teaching for a second. Because teaching was like five bad shows a day. I can't describe... I, mean, this is, I was an English teacher. This was my life every single day. This is this is the world of teaching, okay? All right everybody pay attention. You'll notice on the board. Please copy down A, then copy down B, and then copy down C, begin. Yes, Vanessa. What do we do after we copy down B? <laughs> copy down A. Copy down B and then copy down C, begin. Yes, Kristen. After we copy down A, do we have to do anything? Copy down A. <laughs> copy down B and then copy down C begin. Rob, why are you just sitting there? We have to do something? Copy down A! (laughs) Look, guys, I know this is a faculty meeting, but still... (laughs)
2: And welcome back to the show. Barbara, are you with us again?
0: I, I am again. <laughs> that,
2: that one was for you, by the way. I, I understand you taught English literature and composition. I did, Matt, and
0: I, I was I was laughing at that.
2: <laughs> was that really what it was like in... Uh, in no, no.
0: <laughs> no, no, I taught it. I, thank thank heavens, I taught at stagef level, which in, in Quebec is sort of between university and, uh, and high school. And it's not quite that bad, but um, honestly, you do see the results of some pretty poor... Uh, preparation for argumentation—that's for sure.
2: <laughs> oh, that's for sure. Now we lost you at an interesting point there. Do you recall what point you were just getting at there, just as we broke up?
0: Uh, well, we—we we had uh, you were saying that you didn't think legal. Remi- I, I'm, I'm not sure if it was. I just didn't have.
2: It. I just didn't have faith in a law that was already based on all a lot of these principles that that we're trying to fight. If you, if you know what I mean. In the in the. Broad I understand
0: extent. that, but I'm not. I'm not arguing that, mm-hmm. that people should argue on the basis that they're being offended. I'm saying they, they, they should well, be uh, protection from being intimidated. Uh, they should be allowed to speak. And, and the fact is, many students are not speaking out because they are afraid. They're afraid in the classrooms to speak out uh, because they're afraid of getting poor grades. I've had many students write to me, tell me that their teachers have made it very clear that if they hold certain views, their grades will be affected. One baldly told her students, she said, "If you keep defending Israel, you're going to fail this course." That's that's very typical of many many emails I receive. That that should uh, be grounds
3: for dismissal.
0: Well, it should be, but honestly, it isn't because uh, the 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 department and the, the principals are, are defending. They call it freedom of speech.
2: Well, when you said uh, should be, do you mean it is and it should be acted upon, or it isn't? No, any of course have, it should be acted it, upon. It, it should be acted, acted
3: to, upon, oh, because okay. that's Absolutely. not the job of a teacher to, to bully but students into their political opinions.
0: Where you does remember the case of Michael Newman at Trent, uh, who said, who blogged, I don't care if I lie, I don't care if I stir up anti-Semitism, I don't care what I do as long as I as long as long I help the Palestinians. Yeah, he, his, was, his he, was,
3: perf- he was imitating Ilyan Pappy. Uh, Israeli yes, scholarship. The they were doing the that same thing. They both said that they, they would lie to, to help their cause.
0: But the point was that his principal, his principal, Bonnie Patterson, uh, defended what he said on the grounds of academic freedom.
3: Yeah, that's not academic freedom.
2: Well, it's, of course inter- not. it's interesting because, uh, Barbara, when you were talking about knowingly false information and things like that, just after you broke up, I was mentioning to, um, to Clive here about... Uh, so would that include, for example, a lot of the stuff we hear about the whole green movement and what they're taught, teaching about the environment, which I think is a lot of knowingly false information, perhaps not as emotionally oriented as, as a political well, issue. Well, I think
0: that it's, I think that, that it's, it's not so much the teaching of, uh, uh, of propaganda. I mean, it, it, a bias is, is, is clearly everybody has their own bias. Every teacher has their own bias, and that's fair. But they have to say, here is what's out on the market in terms of knowledge. Here are books that are being written that, that tell us the world's going to be, you know, a, a, a tropical forest in 10 years. And here's another book, by the way, that says it's going to be, you know, we're be going into another ice age. Here's uh, all the information.
2: Well, That's all. You know, okay, let's speak to the broader issue of academic freedom then. And to me, I think there's been one big elephant in the room that we've kind of been skirting around, and, and it seems to me... Doesn't the idea of academic freedom, in a way, stand directly in conflict with the concept of any kind of government-funded education? Isn't it true that he who pays a piper calls the tune? And to the extent that I, as a student, say, um, am having my education paid for by someone else, um, a person like that's going to think, well, I don't have the freedom to be, <laughs> you know, my own freedom to get into a school. It becomes free education, not
3: academic freedom. You're well, th- that's interestingly, that's <laughs> you're actually actually—you're going to be horrified to hear this, but Uh-oh. you're making the argument of the left that the university is already politicized, and so then it's just a matter of who is c- cleverer or more powerful in, 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 in winning the day. I mean, my experience in the university I- is not that. Uh, I, I'm sure there are v- various people who, who, who maybe feel uh, slightly intimidated, but... Uh, I see a, a tremendous amount of uh, of d- diversity, the only kind of diversity that that should matter the diversity of ideas and I think there is a lot of of debate and I think there 's a lot of people who are willing to stand up on. On on the sides that they believe, and I think there's a lot of good science going on, and there's a lot. Well, of I think there's a lot of debates.
2: diversity of w- debate where the government is not threatened by the debate. But as soon as the government gets threatened by a particular debate, that particular debate becomes the subject of what we're talking about today, and it happens to be Israel now. Happens to be uh, the green movement, which will be. But, a but I, I don't but see the government. But it's limiting. Not the government.
1: Debate. The
0: government is not asking. No, I understand uh, that. universities to take one stand or another. In fact yeah. yeah. Okay. So then uh... It, it, this is all happening from within the university itself, the government is very hands off. I guess what I'm saying,
2: uh, well up to a point, but you know when people have their education funded by someone else they, they, they feel it's more of an entitlement and that in
3: fact um, they aren't as respectful of it. I know that from personal experience. Well keep in mind that when professors send um, papers off for consideration for publication it's being looked at by other academics it's not looking at by a government committee. And even when the government um, funds research, they, they fund them through councils that are independent. The government may play a role in deciding how much money might go for some particular uh, cause, uh, you know, autism, for example, mm-hmm. um, or Alzheimer. But it doesn't get involved in what decisions the, the councils um, make as to what research they, they fund. So there is, uh, I think, a, a, a respectful, hands-off mentality um, to it there's an interesting article in the national post this morning by michael bliss the historian at the university of toronto who is uh... taking the scientific establishment to to task for complaining too much about the government cutting their grants and he thinks it makes the scientists in their opposition look like they're whiny and that they feel entitled to to government money and he was trying to redress the balance i mean i personally think he may have gone too too far and was arguing that The government has a right in in a recession uh, to focus money uh, on this or that uh, effort in terms of research. I I don't particularly uh, agree with that. But if anything, here you have a very prestigious academic with whom I probably almost always agreed with when I read his his, um, articles in, in the paper. But today he, I think, is overreacting to the scientists wanting more money to do their work, which is what well, any pressure group does. So. I, d-
2: I did a whole show on that subject, and uh, I, I think there seems to be a lot of evidence to show that, again, wherever government puts money, it displaces that capital from where it would normally go. We don't have much time left. We've got about four, four minutes or so. I'm, I'm just wondering, what do you see ahead? Is there any hope for f- true academic freedom on the campuses? I know SAFS has been around for a few years, and... Um, by the way, SAFS isn't just how 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 big an organization is SAFS? Several hundred,
3: several hundred members. But not just in on the university. No, no, West it's national. Ontario. It's no, national. No, it's national.
2: Because I knew a couple of the previous presidents, including John Furdy and Dorian yeah. Kamura. Right. And in in right. their days, um, we're they were already talking about truth not being a defense and all these hate propaganda provisions being entered into the government. And it seems to me. Are we better off today than we were 15, 20 years ago, or are we worse off in terms of this issue? Barbara, you might want to... Barbara's still there?
3: Oh, we lost uh, Barbara. Okay, well, I guess we'll have to say goodbye to Barbara. I'll call. <laughs> okay, we? I think it's it's hard to, to calibrate right. this. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. Uh, uh, there are always going to be problems. God knows the world's not perfect and universities aren't aren 't aren't perfect but i I think there is uh, a fair amount of freedom and a fair amount of people uh, pursuing topics of their own interest in in their own ways uh, without being interfered with by either their chairs or their deans or or the government and so while you I'm sure you can do many programs focusing on individuals who have been shafted by the system very unfairly, I think you have to keep in mind that we're talking about you know, a system of, you know, 40, 50 universities and a a college student, uh, a college um, population and uh, maybe 30 or 40,000 professors across the country and so we have to keep in perspective that there are incidents that happen, they do get tended to, the Canadian Association of University Teachers, for example, is building up a million dollar fund to be used exclusively for academic freedom cases. Most um, faculty associations uh, have clauses in collective agreements if they're unionized that defend academic freedom and say quite clearly that individual professors can research topics of their choice and they're free to criticize their own university administration. So while just as we have laws, that doesn't mean we don't have uh, law breakers. Um, Just as we have problems um, in in Canada, it, it doesn't mean that uh, the the system is doomed. I think we still have a very vibrant system, and, so and I'm optimistic.
2: Whatever happened to a fellow like Philip Rushton? Did he have to run for the hills, basically? Because I remember his problems here well, at the university. He, he is
3: still working. He's still working. He's still working at 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 the university, and he is this one. He's still working at, at oh. the University of Western Ontario. Okay. He, um, and he still publishes his 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 research. Um, you, you could have him on the show no. to talk about what. That in- intimidation or unfairnesses um, uh, he may see, but he, he he wasn't fired from his job understood and if we talk about the worst case scenario
2: now just quickly, about thirty seconds besides the um the mid east situation, what would you say are the hot topics the hot hot potato topics on on campus with regards to freedom of speech these days what?
3: well there th- th- there's um There's all kinds. I think there's um, affirmative action, I think, Mm -hmm. is a a, a very big issue. Uh, For example, at this university, they used to put out statistics on the, the sex of the applicants for faculty jobs and the sex of the people who were invited for interviews and the sex of the people who were hired. And ever since, my colleague Steve Lupker and I pointed out that there seems to be no evidence that women are getting... Uh, the short stick. In fact, one probably could construct an argument that men are being discriminated against. It, the data clearly show that women have a better chance of being hired than men at Western. We did this for over 10 years. Now the university doesn't put out the statistics on the sex of the applicants mm-hmm. any anymore because uh, we just embarrass them by saying you're not discriminating against women. And the zeitgeist is is for universities to say, no, we discriminate against victim and isn't against women and isn't that terrible. Um, and I don't know why they would be embarrassed in doing that. Another case was there was a professor at Quantlant University out in British Columbia who had been doing uh, grant-funded research on assisted suicide, who had gone through ethics review more than once and been approved, and then suddenly the university administration ordered him to stop. Uh, well, he, he eventually won his case, but his work was disrupted. Uh, for a long time, so there's there administrators can get very funny there 's the, the well, issue of clubs i 'm sure we got
2: we could go on for hours we haven 't touched all of this we 're right out of time right now. Clive, I want to thank you for joining us today and I want to thank barbara who 's of course not with us right at the moment, but w- actually understands she will be in live in the studio and sometime in the future on another issue so uh, clearly we 've discovered that academic freedom is more than just about freedom of speech with that we 'll leave you until we return next week. So join us again and continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, act right, do right, and stay right. Take care. Fade
1: into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything
4: will be all right. I'm a product of TV. I like TV. My favorite channel is the Discovery Channel. It's educational. I was watching this uh, documentary on salmon the other night. Did you know this? Where the fish a salmon is born or hatched in the river... For half of its life, it goes down the river and out into the ocean where it feels death approach. And at that point, it remembers the very spot in the river it was born. And for the rest of its life, it struggles back up the river, going the wrong way over dead trees and waterfalls, fighting the current. It gets there, it makes love, and then it dies in that very exact same spot that it was hatched. And when I think that I can't find
3: my car in the mall parking lot...
6: (laughs) Thank you very much,
3: Montreal. Hope to see you again very soon.